At the end of the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, there are some sad words recorded for us. The word of God says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. A sad uh, reflection on the state of affairs in Israel at that time. And as we look at our times today, uh, you see a sort of similar thing. Churches that say they believe in scripture and uh, when they are mentioned, you almost want to hide and not be associated with the brand of Christianity that they purport to represent. Uh, hide in the sense that people assume that nano evangelism is Christianity. And so when you're labeled a Christian in a context where James Mainanganga is being talked about, uh, you, you have work to say, Ukristoangu, haifanani na ile. In fact, Hiyo ingine, siyo Christo. So, so, I want to hopefully help us answer the why question. Why creeds? Why confessions? And why catechisms? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we would like to kindly request that... Uh, you bless unto us this next Sunday school classes in a big way, in a way that each one here would have strength based on the truths of your word to make a decision, an informed decision uh, in this area of concern, in this area of creeds, confessions, and catechisms. We please request that... Uh, uh, at the end of this Sunday school classes, none of us here would just go with the flow in whatever direction, whether the flow is uh, subscription to creeds or whether the flow is uh, a resisting of creeds. We pray that none of us here would just go with the flow, rather that each one here would have a basis a strong basis for making the decision and hopefully the decision to subscribe, to do more than to submit, but to subscribe to uh, what we believe is uh, the fullest reflection of our beliefs from God's word as is seen in the 1689 uh, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Please grant me utterance and the ability to perceive the questions being asked by your children and uh, point us to your word for your glory and for our good. We pray, O oh Lord, lead us to the quiet and green pastures of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
on our website, we have that page that talks about our statement of faith. And one of the things mentioned there is we take the whole Bible, the 66 commonly received books of the Old and New Testament, as our confession of faith. Although we accept no man-made confession as finally authoritative, we receive the 1689 Baptist Confession as true to the Bible and adopt it as the fullest expression of our faith. We present below a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches to instruct and guide our members and to preserve us against false doctrine. So, so if, if you're new to the fact that we have a website, we have one, and we lay everything out so that uh, you don't join and then we, you don't become a member here, then we surprise you with things you didn't expect, okay? So one of the things, for example, we summarize there is on the scripture. And uh, a statement of faith with regard to the scripture is the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are equally and in every part the word of God. Without any error, a sufficient and final revelation of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. They must be received as the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. No other writings are accepted as word of God or as having any such authority. I hope we are not reading this for the first time, <laughs> members, that we have interacted with this, okay? Please, please visit the website and ruminate over these things. And our constitution is available. Um, there are downloads there, our distinctive doctrines, our constitution, and the Baptist Confession of Faith. These things are on our website. Please interact with them. Now listen to statements of faith from others. With regard to the word of God, this is a statement of faith presented by a ministry. I'll read it and then tell you which ministry it is. The Bible is the inspired word of God, a revelation from God to mankind, the infallible rule of faith and conduct and is superior to conscience and reason, but not contrary to reason. <laughs> Benihin Ministries. Okay. You hear a lot of what we have in our own, isn't it? But then, in some very specific things here, we differ. So for them... It cannot be contrary to reason. And the assumption is there is sanctified reason in fallen human being. As we are saying, it is authoritative, even when it doesn't sound reasonable. You submit to it. Listen to another one. The Bible is the infallible word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and contains every answer to man's problems. 
Joyce Meyer Ministries. Okay. As, as we begin looking at these things, you begin realizing that statements of faith would distinguish people. It would limit you with regard to who you can partner with in ministry. Listen to another one. We believe the entire Bible is inspired by God without error and the authority on which we base our faith, conduct, and doctrine. Joel Austin Ministries. Now you hear a lot of similarities. We are in agreement on a number of things. Almost everything he is saying. But we have some more things we are saying which he doesn't say, at least in practice. Isn't it? And uh, let me read you Jesse Duplantis Ministries. I'm picking people whom you'd tremble at the fact that there is something we share in common because we are so polar different in our practice of faith, okay? Jesse Duplantis Ministries, the Bible is the inspired word of God, the product of holy men of old who spoke and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The new covenant as recorded in the New Testament, we accept as our infallible guide in matters pertaining to conduct and doctrine. And so you hear dispensationalism there. He begins saying it's in the new covenant that we find our rule of faith. And, but as we are saying, the Old and the New Testament are equal. Are you seeing? And then how about Jehovah's Witnesses? <laughs> We recognize the Bible as, the in, as God's inspired message to humans. And they cite 2 Timothy 3.16, which we would also cite. We base our beliefs on all 66 of its books, which include both the Old and the New Testament. While we accept the entire Bible, they say, we are not fundamentals, fundamentalists. We recognize that parts of the Bible are written in figurative or symbolic language and are not to be understood literally, and they cite Revelation 1.1. So, my friends, I'm just mentioning a few. I could mention the Mormons. We believe in God, the Eternal Father and His Son, Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And then with regard to the Bible, the Mormons in number eight of their 13 statements of faith would say, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it's translated correctly. We also believe the book of Mormons to be the word of God. So clearly we differ. But if we are not clear as they are clear, then on the surface we could think we have so much in common. And so you look at the NCCK and the list of churches there, and they are so different that you wonder how do they gather around a table even to pray. They are so different. T.D. Jakes, this is Jakes, Divinity School Statement of Faith. 
This is on the uh, on God. He says there is one God, creator of all things. We are in agreement. Infinitely perfect. We are in agreement. And eternally existent, existing in three manifestations, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I hope you are in disagreement. Because he uses manifestations as we use persons. Okay? So him, he's talking about modalism, that RSC, where we, they, they, would, they would say God appeared in the Old Testament as this, and then uh, he appeared as Christ, and now he appears as the Holy Spirit. I'm beginning to just build a case, but maybe before we go on, any comment around this, and then we, we define these things. What are creeds, confessions, and catechisms? Any thought so far? Yes, yes, Ken. Right. Yes. And the implications of that last one on the person of God is huge. It's so huge on how you, you preach, how you, you, you talk about salvation. The implications are north, well, east and west. They are so, it looks a minor thing but how one conducts what they believe to be a Christian walk becomes very different if your perspective is similar to that of T.D. Jakes. Any, any other comment? Okay, yes. Right. They don't. Yes. They don't mean that. Yes. Yes. And 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 so we also owe it to others to explain ourselves when we say we believe in Christ. We need to say who Christ is, okay? When we say we believe in the Bible, are we talking about the 66 books plus the books of Apocrypha? Are we, like the Mormons, saying we believe in the 66 books plus the Book of Mormons? So we ought to, to explain ourselves and we ought to require from others to explain themselves when they say, I believe in this and this. Okay. I'm hopefully building a case in your minds for why it is important to think about uh, 
creeds and confessions and catechisms. So help me then, friends. What are creeds? You've heard the word? It comes from the Latin, Latin word credo, which basically means I believe. A creed is a succinct, short, precise statement of faith that summarizes the fundamentals that one believes. So this, this here could be considered a creed. It's a short, it's a very precise statement of faith that summarizes the fundamentals, the foundational things, the underpinning platform upon which you stand with regard to beliefs. Okay. Now, a confession is usually a much more detailed exposition of faith. It is a more detailed exposition of faith. So if you go to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, with regard to scripture, you will find more than just what is here. It further explains it. It is more detailed exposition of truth. It sets out to make the distinctives between ourselves and various branches of the Protestant churches. A confession of faith will set denominational differences in various congregations. And, and so you look at uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was penned down by the Presbyterians, and then distinguishing the Presbyterians from other Protestants. And then around 15 years later, the Savoy, the Congregationalists, wrote the Savoy uh, Declaration of Faith. And the Savoy Declaration of Faith is very similar to the Westminster Confession of Faith, apart from in the area of church government. And then later on, the Baptists come into the scene and they finally get it right. <laughs> and... Uh, the Baptist Confession of Faith is hugely built from the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Savoy Confession of Faith. It is similar to it, except in the areas of, anyone who knows? What would distinguish us? So, we, yes, baptism would be one. Church government would be another, so we don't have a bishop somewhere at some headquarter that we respond to who sends leaders here, okay? What else? The Lord's Supper, okay? 
Let's attempt catechisms. We've interacted with catechisms. Try and put it in your word. words. What, what are catechisms? We've seen what creeds are, what confessions are. What are catechisms? Yes, yes, Kevin. Good, good. So catechism, catechesis, basically involves instruction by questions and answer format. So catechism would be a teaching tool using a question and answer format to teach. How many of us grew up in a context where there are catechisms, questions? Okay, all right, quite a number of you. Did anyone ever tell you why you need it? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Confirmed, okay. Mafundisho. It used to be called that. So if you want to be a partaker of uh, the Lord's Supper, then you go through catechism. Uh, some, some, some contexts it was put forth as the reason. Um, so to be baptized, yes. In order to be baptized, then there would be, you'd be asked questions. And recently a certain... A uh, little uh, young lady brought me questions that they were given in their church context, and I just thought I felt pain reading those questions as what would be the basis of being baptized? Okay, so how do you refer to the archbishop of our church? And I, I don't know if it's supposed to be his something, uh, hopefully, not his holiness. But uh, those were the catechism questions they had. Um, it's, it's painful. It's painful to, to see that. That's, that's in the Anglican context. You'd, uh, you'd think we are talking about Roman Catholics when, when I say that, but it was in the Anglican space. The creeds of the early church, and as time goes on, you'll be able to see creeds in, in Scripture. I'll be able to show you examples of creeds and confessions in Scripture. One common one is Deuteronomy 6.4. Here, O Israel, the Shama. It's a, it's a statement of faith. Uh, but maybe a, a little bit more of that as we begin looking at the legitimacy of it. So the creeds of the early church, the content of, would have the content of the faith necessary for salvation. And the confessions of the Reformation era would belong exclusively to the different stand, strands rather, of the Protestant churches within which they were formulated. And these confessions were meant to clarify the position of a particular denomination 
on matters of controversy. So all these things, creeds, confessions, and catechisms are badges of faith. They are our standards of belief. They are the watchwords of our doctrinal conviction. In fact, if you are to study them in school, they would be under what would be called symbolics. They are symbols of our faith, the badges we wear, the signposts we use, the, the things that we use to help us with regard to our doctrinal conviction. conviction. So part of why I thought to have this class was to help us who are struggling, who are struggling with the question, why should a church hold a confession of faith? And, and I'm just saying there are too many times we assume answers to important questions. And we work so hard telling people what they should do, but if we don't help them understand why it is important, they will not maximize on what we are telling them to do. If you tell a young person, study hard, work so hard in school, um, and you don't help them to appreciate why they should do it, they might not make good use of what you're telling them. But if you bring somebody to a place where they appreciate the why of things, then even without explaining much about the how of it, there hopefully would be sufficient motivation for them to go out and find out what the London Baptist Confession of Faith says. There would be sufficient motivation for them to read those long sentences that are almost half a page and it's written in Victorian English and somewhere half, halfway in the sentence you wonder, what have I been reading so far if you've interacted with the confession of faith? Well, because you know the, that you have a strong why behind what you're doing, there is motivation to study. We must not just assume that it is good to hold confession especially at such times when many people are doubting. We must ask ourselves the questions. Is it legitimate to hold a confession? In other words, is it legal to have a confession? Legal in the biblical sense, because we have already said we are sola scriptura people, okay? So does scripture allow us to have confessions? Does scripture instruct us to have confessions? And then the other thing is, is not just a legitimacy question, is it right? The, the, the second question is, is it necessary? Something can be legal, but... It is not necessary. It's perfectly legal for me to have come to church with a yellow trouser, but I'm so glad it wasn't necessary, isn't it? 
<laughs> it's, it's, not, it's legal. None of you would say, I am, I am doing something. Well, maybe if I'm being destructive, then you could say you're taking attention from the worship of God to your, your circus-like dress code. But, um, but generally, it would be legal but not necessary. So I hope to build a case for the legitimacy and the necessity. Um, and then I hope to also help us see how to subscribe to it so, so that in, in the coming weeks we could discuss subscription. So there are, I need to play defense first, then later on I'll play offensive. So let me start by playing defense. And uh, there are a number of objections to creeds, catechisms, and confessions. Can we agree that I call them creeds? Okay. There are a number of objections to creeds. One is they are associated with Romism and formalism. And we are free people. We have been freed. The Lord Jesus Christ has freed us. Why are we once more, you know, uh, binding ourselves as those who do not realize we've been freed? Two more, actually, these would be serious objections. One is the thought that confessions set aside the sole sufficient and supreme authority of Scripture as the rule of faith, and that's something worth thinking about. Does the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith that we subscribe to impugn, set aside, impeach the soul's unsufficient and supreme authority of Scripture? But the other serious objection normally is they assume an authority on the part of the church that does not belong to her. The church is in, has authority, but its authority must be within the bounds of what God allows so that we see in, uh, for example, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3, Scripture says, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So those with authority in the church, the elders in this case in 1 Peter 5, 3, are being warned against lording it over, against exercising an authority that they do not have over the flock of Christ. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22 and 23 would also talk about the fact that we have been called, for he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. You are bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. So clearly, this would become serious objections if they stand true. These serious objections would be legitimate if con confessions did, in, 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 did try to impugn, to impeach, to set aside 
the sole supremacy and sufficiency of Scripture. These objections would be legitimate if the confessions did infringe the Christian's liberty in Christ. So the question then is, do, does our confession um, impugn, does it infringe, does it go against first uh, Timothy, second Timothy rather, uh, chapter three, verse 14 to 17. I want to hopefully show you that the confessions of faith do not infringe the sole authority of the Bible or Christian liberty. I want to show you that the confessions do not rival, so it does not, it does not, 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith does not infringe It does not even compete with. I think I, I also need to show that it does not even undermine. The sole authority of scripture. So that then as we go along, you'd hopefully be able to see these, these things. Any question up to here? Finally, I would show that it's self-contradictory to say you refuse all confessions. Because there are people who say no creed but the Bible. No creed but Christ. But as you will see later, that is a creed itself. Isn't it? Because they are making a creedal statement and refusing creeds. Any question up to now? So if you've joined us later after we had started, we are trying to answer the question, why have creeds in a church that says we are sola scriptura? So let me then start with this part of infringement. Does our confession infringe? And I make a statement there, our confession of faith does not infringe the sole authority of the Bible or Christian liberty. So then there are questions we need to ask ourselves there. We need to ask ourselves, what do we mean when we talk about Scripture? when we say it is our sole authority. And it means it is our sole divine authority. And I say that because scripture is abundantly clear in a number of places that there is something called rightful human authority. Where do we learn about rightful human authority within scriptures about rightful human authority in the family? Which texts of God's word comes to your mind? Sorry, ma'am. Ephesians? Five. Ephesians five will talk about authority structure between husband and wife, yes. How about Ephesians six? 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, because this is the first commandment with a promise. So if I tell my child at 9 p.m., it's lights out time, go to bed, they will not ask me which chapter and which verse are you quoting, isn't it? I'm telling them something that I have not read. There's nowhere that it says, go to bed at 9.30, isn't it? But they also will not say, no, you're infringing scripture. Which chapter and which verse? Scripture is my sole authority. The scripture which we say is our sole authority establishes authority in the family. How about authority in the state? Which chapter? Romans 13, okay? And the confession beautifully states the sphere within which that authority should operate. They are given the sword, a physical sword, a confession to tell us, which tells you that their sphere of operation is not spiritual because you do not use a physical sword to deal with spiritual enemies, isn't it? And the confession makes it so clearly, so clear with that regard. It tells us about magistrates that uh, their sphere of governance has to be physical. It can't be spiritual if what they have been given is the sword. It also talks about capital punishment. What is our stand as believers on capital punishment? And it tries to bring to bear our stand on the faith with regard to, to that. And it quotes the Old Testament and the New Testament, showing that there is a place for sending people to be judged by God using the sword if they have caused a capital offense. How about the church? Which, which, which portion of God's word would, would set authority other than the authority, sole authority of Scripture and says there is authority within the church? Hebrews 13, 17, okay, which clearly does state that there is authority within the church placed on the shoulders of the elders who would give an account for your souls. So only where divine authority is attributed to creeds and traditions of the church is the sole authority of scripture infringed. And because joining a church, at least this church, and subscribing to the confession is voluntary, we will, know, we will be able to strongly say that holding on to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, sorry, does not infringe your Christian liberty. Before you join, we ask you, have you read the Constitution? Have you looked at your responsibilities and your privileges? We, we make that clear. And, and we don't force you. We don't put a gun to your head and tell you sign the dotted line. Isn't it? So then we can't also be accused of infringing Christian liberty. Any question up to there?
So it does not infringe, but it also does not rival or challenge or compete with the supreme authority of Scripture. So in the first case, we are saying Scripture does provide for the establishment of authorities other than the exact words here. Because if we said that uh, uh, to have confessions is wrong because it rivals the sole authority of Scripture, we would be saying many other things together with that. We would be saying it is wrong to pray words other than what is here. It is wrong to hear a sermon with words other than what is here. We would be saying scripture is only authoritative when, when you read exactly what's there, but we do realize that scripture is authoritative not just in quoting it verbatim, but also in its meanings. When, when you understand the meaning of what scripture says, it has authority. The TBC Statement of Faith says this. We take the whole Bible, and we had read this. The 66 commonly received books of the Old New Testament as our confession of faith. Although we accept no man-made confession as finally authoritative, we receive the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith as true to the Bible and adopt it as the fullest expression of our faith. Then... Notice what the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith in uh, chapter 1, paragraph 10 would say with regard to Scripture. So we are saying this is, is part of what we ascribe to. It's a long sentence and part of what puts off the modern mind from the confessions of faith is the intensity of how it is detailed. This is one sentence, isn't it? Many people have a mind today that will only concentrate for a very short time. But this, these are very important things. And I think we need to endure and push ourselves and even walk around as you read it, if need be. And read it a number of times and read it clearly. And there is a responsibility upon us who teach people the confessions to appreciate that people do struggle with these huge chunks of readings so that then we, we need to empathize with them, put it before them. I could have read it without putting it before you, but I think it helps you more if you engage more of your senses, your sense of hearing and your sense of sight, okay? So let's read what it says. The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit into which Scripture so delivered, our faith is finally resolved." And, and so when we talk about the 1689 confession, we are also seeing here that it's not competing with Scripture. It's not rivaling Scripture. It is saying it submits itself to the Word of God. 
Our confession of faith does not undermine the sufficient authority of Scripture. Again, the 1689 paragraph, chapter 1, paragraph 6a says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, for man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture and to which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. This last part would set us apart from who? From? From charismatics, okay, word of knowledge. From who else? From the Catholics? who believe that when the Pope sits down and speaks extra cathedra, then the, the speech of the Pope is as equally inspired as God's word. The Mormons, who say they believe in the Bible, but they also believe in the Book of Mormons. It sets us apart. And so somebody could come to you and tell you they believe in the Bible, and you ask them then the question, what do you mean by you believe in the Bible? Time is gone, but a question here for us, do the key passages of the sufficiency of Scripture forbid pastors or Christians from putting the message of Scripture into their own words? Are we forbidden from putting scripture in our own words? Say when you're preaching. No, we are not, okay? <laughs> I think we need to ask ourselves, I see the hesitancy, and so I think next week I'll need to be more exegetical and show us why we are not. Yes. Then, okay. So I see the hesitancy. Thank you. So I'll need to show a positive support for the call to put forth truths that are immutable, infallible, and changing in our own words. We need to see some of these things as squeezing an orange to get its juice. It does not necessarily add anything to the juice. It just makes it available in a form that is easy to take up. John Murray says that uh, we should not restrict confessions to the doctrine of Scripture. And he says there are doctrines just as essential as the doctrine of Scripture for which we need to have a statement of faith on. Okay? Does that make sense? So you need more statements than just a statement on the doctrine of Scripture. We need a statement on what else? The doctrine of 
of Christ, that's a big one, isn't it? That's a big one. And the Nicene Creed was very helpful in, uh, in making that statement. He is very God of, how does it go? Very God of the very God, yes. And, uh, and dealt with the serious error for which we are very grateful today. Um, we need doctrines we, we need statements with regard to the church with regard to magistrates with regard to the scripture itself with regard to uh, salvation with regard to faith and so many other things so to limit creedal confessions to the doctrine of scripture is is limiting because it is, it is as if we are saying it is the only essential doctrine. There are other essential doctrines. Next week, maybe we will look at this. Let's take time to, to pray. Lord, it is common today for us to run away from uh, statements of faith because we are uninstructed or because our anti-credulism is a cover for things like unfaithfulness to doctrine or unmortified attachments to personal liberty. Or maybe we just suffer from a sheer dislike of authority or an unwillingness to learn from Christ's gifts given to us through church history uh, by men whom the Lord gathered together and gave wisdom to make such statements. Whatever the case that... Uh, would underpin the reason for which we have an inclination, a proclivity to run away from creeds. Please help us. Help us to be those who have a strong reason to give for the hope that we have in Christ. We please pray that as we clarify these things, we would indeed be those who, as members of your church, play our role in ensuring it becomes the pillar and buttress of truth that it is supposed to be. We kindly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.